Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. We've been waiting for a while to get to this point of the 50 most relevant. The teens. But we are finally here. With just a couple of weeks left to go in this countdown, we couldn't get through the 50 most relevant without one of the breakout stars of 2023, Caleb Sarong. He was phenomenal for owners last year. And as we venture into a new season, the question is, has he got another gear to go or has he already hit his peak? We're going to talk about that on today's episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well, and I trust you've been enjoying this series so far. With the formats now all open and now a number of weeks, you've had a chance to play and try a bunch of different things. It's time to start getting serious about some of these top-end options. And joining me to talk about, well, pretty much every free Freemantle player we've had in the 50. It's been a minute since we've had him on. I had to get him back. Minimunk, talking about one of your favourites in Caleb Sarong. He's number 19 in the 50 most relevant. Yeah, good to be back on to be able to discuss one of the, probably the biggest picks in the midfield, or arguably the second biggest pick, maybe behind Tom Green in the midfield. But he was phenomenal last year. You know, absolute clear breakout, went from mid-90s to high 100s, well, high high 100s across the formats and really defined a lot of people's seasons as to when they could get onto him. If you started him, you were away to the races. And if you had to jump onto him a bit later, it was a good ride when you could get to him. But he was the top eight mid in AFL fantasy and he wasn't far off it in Supercoach last year. We talk about this format of Supercoach. A top score last year was also a career-high score, a 146, a seasonal average cracking past that 110 average. And speaking of teens, he heads right into the teens when it comes to the number of tons. 1,600s last year. In that format, he is priced over the $600,000 marker. So you're certainly looking at him with some high value and certainly someone you want to be able to lock away some captaincy scoring early in the year. We want to talk about that conversation as we get through this episode. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he's not far off the million-dollar mark in either of those formats. Why? A seasonal average of 108, 17 tonnes. So not a bad return. 134 was his season-high score, but not quite towards the top of his career high ever. It's a 143. I think for a while, Mini Monk, there was this narrative in the fantasy community that we know Sarong's going to break out. The question is when, not if. And I think it's because he is that beautiful mix of footballer that translates across all formats of fantasy football, has no problem winning the contested stuff. If he doesn't win the ball, he'll do something defensively with tackles to be able to increase his scoring component. Mark's yeah, maybe there's a little growth you could argue there, but he's got no problem with doing that if there's an uncontested ball to win. And is he going to run all day to provide avenues and options for his team? Yes, yes, and yes. Outside of impacting the scoreboard, there's not much that this young star doesn't do well. Absolutely not. He, he's got the high CBA rate that we like to see from our inside midfielder. He's got the full score build. He hits the disposals, the tackles, the marks. Probably needs to impact the scoreboard a little bit more, but you know that'll come with time. Gets the clearances, gets the one percenters. He's in everything. You know, every game bar one that he played last year, he hit that twenty-five disposal marker. And the one game that he didn't, he had twenty-four. Not too bad. 
he needs to even up his consistency, I think, with his marks and with his tackles to be able to go probably to that next level. But let's talk about that. Can he make it to that next level? Well, everything says that he can. The guy's only 22 years old. He's played four seasons in the NFL. He's coming into his fifth year. He's basically been in that midfield since he started, 16 games in his first year, 20, 22, 22. Like he's, he's got good numbers of games underneath him. He's primed to be able to hit that next level. But the question is, can he hit that next level? He needs to build his tackles. He needs to build his marks. I think that that's going to come a bit more with another preseason, being able to bulk up. But there's a lot of reasons why you can start him, even if he doesn't have a 10-point jump, even if it's not a five-point jump. It's because he's not really going to burn you. You talked about those tons from last year. They weren't massive tons. He didn't have massive ceiling games, but he didn't have floor games. He was tag affected in three games last year. And he still managed to scrounge 80s in AF and a lowest of a 17 SC. In mm. AF, the only games that he went under the 90 marker were the games that he was tag affected. And the three games that he, three of the, I think the seven games that he was under 100 in Supercoach were tag affected, including that lowest game, which happened to be in round one against the coach who had moved to St. Kilda, who had coached him for a little bit of his preseason, a little bit of his early development as well. So they knew that he was the one to target. And if someone's going to pick up on a player being an impactful for a midfield pretty early, I think Ross Lyon's going to know who he wants to tag. So that that's potentially a downside is that those tags could start to come for him. But again, another preseason, he can start to bulk up and be able to work through those tags. Yeah, in spite of that, you mentioned there's still six games where he goes 120 plus from a conversion of 1700. Mm. So yeah, you look at, oh, there's a lack of ceiling. Okay, he's still only a handful of seasons into his AFL career. And that conversion rate of games played to triple figure scores in AFL fantasy is fantastic. It's better in Supercoach, 16 tons, 50% of that conversion rate into the 120 plus score. So you're feeling pretty settled right in that spot. He's ranked 12th overall in AFL fantasy and dream team for total points and 13th for averages, 17th both in in Supercoach, both for averages and for overall points. So this is a beautifully well-rounded footballer who showed glimpses of us in 2022, smaller glimpses in 2021. It's like this mm. kid is coming as a fantasy football star across all the formats. And you could build this really compelling case that not only did he arrive in 2023, but I don't think he's fully established himself just yet to being at the peak of his powers. We look at this guy and where he's at. Where does he grow his scoring? Because you talk about how he won't hurt you, but if we're selecting a guy that is right towards that edge of that million-dollar marker in Dream Team and Fantasy and well past 600000 in Supercoach, we're probably wanting to put some VC and C options on him, at least as a consideration in the first six yeah. to eight weeks of the year. doesn't sure. mean he has to be, but you want to do that. So where do you see a potential pathway for a growth in his scoring, both from an elevated basement, which again, as you said, really good, but could still pick up a little bit. And also where do you see some potential ceiling growth in his scoring? Well, I think he's got the basement from the fact that he's just able to get the pill whenever he wants it. You know, as I said, 25 touches in every game of the season, but the marks and tackles can bump up a little bit. You know, we try and hit for that 10 across marks, tackles and goals. Marks, 
it, it tends to be one or the other for him. He tends to get marks in one game or tackles in the other. If he can put it all together and get, you know, six marks in one game, six tackles in another, and maybe kick goal, that's when you can start to see those ceiling games. And that's what happened in that last game of the season where he went 120 AF and 140 SC. Six marks, five tackles, only kick the behind. If that's a goal, it's maybe 150 SC and 125 AF. That's the type of scores where you're comfortable in, in captaining someone like that. And I think that that's going to come as he starts to be able to continue to develop his midfield craft and starts to actually get a bit more of a cohesive midfield mix. You know, they were missing that little piece that they really needed as that third midfielder. And I think that they're going to find that now with Hayden Young and that'll just flesh out that trio of Young, Brayshaw and Sarong. Because I think that those three complement each other really well. Brayshaw has got a lot more of that outside game. Sarong's kind of got a bit more of that inside and outside game, whereas Young's going to come in and really provide a lot of that inside grunt work, big body that they need. And I think that that'll help relieve a lot of the pressure that goes on to Sarong, as well as having another big body next to him to be able to provide him a bit more protection when he's in and under in the packs. Fremantle's a really interesting team for me this preseason. There's a lot of very relevant guys, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. But there's this interesting player dynamic that's rolling through the midfield that I, I haven't heard too many people talk about it. Now, the super coach community are keenly watching this player that I'm about to say because at his price point and his legacy of scoring, they're going, if he's fit, I'm going to find it a hard way not to talk through if he's in this midfield. I'm alluding to their former captain in Nat Fife. How do you see this midfield mix going? Because... I feel like there's a lot of misinformation or maybe that's harsh. Misunderstanding is probably a better way to look at this Fremantle midfield. You've got Fife, Sarong, Young coming in, Brayshaw, and then people going, oh, there's an open wing. We both believe and have done an episode now a couple of weeks ago on Heath Mm. Chapman, who he thinks is going to hold down a back line, and Jeremy Sharp, who's going to hold down one of those wings. How do you see the Nat Fife impact of him coming back into the midfield and politely saying the forward experiment as a heavy forward didn't work, how do you see right. that working out? And how do you see, if at all, that aiding or hurting Caleb Sarong scoring? I think the heavy forward experiment didn't really work for Fife because he was being forced to play a lot taller than what his natural game suggests. He works really well as a third tall forward. And I think that they're starting to get a bit better of a mix now with Tracy and Amos being that one-two punch. And, and they're going to develop together as the young age they are. But I also don't see Fife being a pure inside midfielder. He's over the 30 marker he's not going to be someone who's going to be staying in that squad for the next five years whereas you look at some people like young sarong and brayshaw they're all in their early to mid 20s they're all players that are going to stay inside of that midfield for a fair chunk of time to come now so i do think that five will get midfield time but i don't see it being 50 percent. i don't see it really ticking much over that 40 percent. i think it's probably somewhere in that 20 to 40 percent market and varying three weeks And if we look at the CBA percentages from last year, they kind of show the same story. He had seven games where he had midfield attendances, you know, 21%, 16%, 42%, 46%, 54%, and 52%, 35-23. So, you know, averaging around that 30% marker, but then you look at those spike games, they came when Diego Amir wasn't playing or had decreased CBAs and Young hadn't moved into the midfield at that point either. So, if we're looking at who's going to be guaranteed CBIs, I think Sorong is at the top of that list. He is the one that will be staying inside there the entire time. I think that Young, they might experiment with, but I, I see him as at least an 80% CBA mid and only having to float back if the situation calls for it. Brayshaw is probably the one that could get that little bit of a decrease, 
but I don't see it being to the wing. I don't really see that that's the place that they're going to want to put him. They'll probably use him similar to how Carlton uses Sam Walsh, where he starts at half forward or half back and pushes straight into the stoppage and becomes the extra attendance. You don't want your winger doing that. You want someone coming from a different point of the ground to be the one to do that. So my question is then, I've got a couple of things I'm keen to get your thoughts on, but one of those is around the tag. You alluded right mm. earlier before that Ross Lyon played a tagging role on him, and then there were a couple of times last year, I think it was West Coast and, and Port Adelaide, Willem Drew ran through there as well. Um, do you see that coming to him now? I know we don't know as much about the dynamic of how that works. Do you think mm. he's the number one tag target? Um, because he's got some decent basement. You said even when he tagged that came, but is that still the biggest concern or a turnoff for why you might start him? Uh, potentially. It's, it's a bit of a tricky one. We saw that in that West Coast game, it actually didn't go to him the entire time. They did a half on Brayshaw and then they did the second half on Sarong from memory. And Sarong got off the chain in the first half and then Brayshaw got off the chain when the tag was dropped on him in the second half. I would expect that to be fairly similar to what we see in 2024 as well. Similar to how with Adelaide, the, the primary tag target's probably Dawson, but if Laird starts getting off the chain, they will try and send someone to, to give him a bit of attention and they have done in the past. So if we see that similar sort of thing, I'd expect that the tags will probably try and start on Sarong and if they need to move on to someone else, that might come. But again, that's something they're going to be prepping during match sim as well. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be... I would be thinking that they're going to try and have plans in place to be able to mitigate that. One of the great pieces of a player like a Caleb Sarong is that he is going to be, if you start him or target him as an early upgrade, he can be a significantly important piece for you through navigating your buy round structurally in 2024. You look at how the buys map out across the year, you notice something really clear in round 13. Fremantle. Port Adelaide, hit that important junction. Two teams off and best 18 in the middle of the year where you're getting the extra trade options to be able to use. You've got the visibility of teams coming off buys and it just helps you navigate through those early buy rounds. This is where the stocks start to value up and it's where you start to stack up all the narratives of why a Sarong could be important to you. He plays all of those early buy rounds. You know that he's not going to really burn you with a 50 or a 60 or a 70 with a poor score. Fixture-wise, it's relatively favourable for Fremantle early on in those first couple of months of the year, and you know he's going to help you through all those buys mid and early. This is where you start to do like an argument stack, isn't it, Mini Monkey? Mm. Go, helps me with my buys. Got a pathway to better scoring. Got a pathway to this. Already got good basement. All of a sudden, he might not have been in your first three or four or five midfielders that you were considering come January 1. But now as we're deep into February, you're going, yeah, yeah, maybe he is. And when I mean deep into February, I mean it's the first day. But it feels like it's deeper than that. Um, that that's kind of where it gets to at the moment. Yeah. There's not. It's more now a question of who, which players and midfielders do you like from that buy structure. Yeah. Probably more is where Sarong falls as a starter and upgrade target for you, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that that's the really interesting thing because we've gone from, you know, 2023, we had Geelong and Gold Coast on that standalone buy in round 13 where we didn't really have good top six and top eight options. We had really Stuart and some people had someone like Noel Anderson in there. And those are probably the only two premiums at that stage that were close enough to being top six or top eight in their line. But if we go through 
Fremantle and Port Adelaide coming into round 13 without even starting the season, you're probably thinking you've got Butters, you've got Rosie, you've got Brochure, you've got Sarong, you've got Young, and you've got Houston, who all could be at the top of that line, let alone the fact that someone like Luke Jackson could come in if Sean Darcy gets injured or the reverse if, if Luke Jackson gets injured. You're starting to have seven or eight options for that buy round. Yeah. We don't know what the ideal strategy is going to be in terms of the number of premiums we want to carry to that round at this stage. We have a better idea and and and, and looking at it with the way that I've kind of analyzed it, I think that it's probably about three or four premiums that you want as it leads to a really nice structure for the entirety of the buy rounds. And so then you start to ask that question, well, can he be better than a Butters? Can he be better than a Brayshaw? Can he be better than a Rosie? Is he more important than a Houston or a Young? And that's probably the conversations that you want to have because if you're not starting these types of players, that's fine. They help you with the multi buy rounds with the buy rounds early, but they're not a necessary. They're not a necessity because there's a lot of other teams. But when you start to view that round thirteen buy round when it's just Port Adelaide and Fremantle, that's when you want to start to see these players and say, well, if I only got two or three of them in my starting squad, which ones do I want to upgrade to? When is their price coming down? When are they at the cheapest for me to be able to jump on? So. Even if you don't start Sarong, he's someone that you want to be monitoring intently through the first 10 to 12 rounds of the of the season to figure out when that jump on point could be. So is it as simple as get those four mids that Mini Monk said and stack them up in an order for you of who do you want to start for the year? Or is it more complex than that? I don't think anything in football is ever so simple, but I also don't think anything's as hard as we sometimes make it out to be. Caleb Sarong, we know, has one of the best scoring flaws of any premium midfielder going around. We also can see a real clear pathway through either just tidying up some of that football use in Supercoach or gaining some other just slight increases with a, a more strengthened and more rounded midfield where it's less dependent on only him at stoppage and clearance. You can build a pathway now where you can see some increased scoring both through the floor and the ceiling. And all of a sudden, you throw those buy elements into the mix. Caleb Sarong, that's a really nice starting squad vice-captaincy option. Equally, you can look at him and go, I'm not as bullish that he can hit those early 120 games, even with the favorable fixture. And I do like a Rosie or a Brayshaw or a Butters a little bit more. I do want a bit more safety. If I'm spending this much, I want to feel like most weeks I could get a 120 plus score off this guy against almost everyone. And so therefore I'll fade. Okay. I'll hear that conversation too. But is Caleb Sarong relevant? Oh, my friend, he absolutely is. We want to see a little bit more from him, and he does need to give us more than what he did in 2023 into 2024. Whether it's a start or an upgrade, we need a little bit more to really make it worth it. But could he be? Oh, yes, my friends, he absolutely could. On draft day, where he goes is fascinating to me because based on previous season data, He's probably, a, well, he is an M2 in Supercoach and he's right on that ledge in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. I'm so fascinated to see where he goes. I'm really comfortable if I had him as an M1 in AF, hmm. but it all depends on, like everything, where you're drafting, how many coaches, how many on field. We know those are the variables. Where do you see him going drafter? He's definitely going to be one of the top 15, probably top 20 safely in Supercoach. Midfielders taken overall. 
Where is it? Is it a late second? Is it an early third? Supercoach, it might be 5, 10, 15 picks later than AF. But where do you see him going and what's the right strategy to approach? I think he's a really nice player to own for draft because of that consistency of scoring. He's never really going to drop you a bad score. But the counterpoint to that is he doesn't have the massive ceilings that some of these M1s can have, like a Petrarca, like a Bontempelli, like a Brayshaw even. And for that reason alone, I think he gets pushed back a little bit in people's minds, but he'd be a great guy to grab on the turn, end of the second round, beginning of the third round, if you can, you know, pair him with a really strong M1 or pair him with one of those high ceiling Ruckman if you want to and have him as an M1. I feel like that's a really nice spot in AFL fantasy and maybe it's the middle of the third round in Supercoach. But, you know, if you're, if you're bullish on him, it could be, you know, that end of that second round as well. But either way, he's extremely draft relevant because of that flaw. Yeah, and relative durability and consistency as mm. well. So you get that nice combination. And if you are playing drafts early, the buy rounds early on are really important to navigate. If you can get the right matchup against your league, you come up against that guy or girl that you go, actually, they're the guy that if I can jag a win in this matchup against him, against her, I'm away all of a sudden. If you get that right matchup and Sarong's playing and that person's big premium M1 isn't, these are unknown variables, but can have significant impacts that just nudge little elements in your favor. Caleb Sarong's very, very relevant. Mini Monk, it's been a pleasure talking with you about one of your favorite Dockers yet again. It's been a pleasure to be here as well. If you want to go and read the article, it is online for you now at coachespanel.tv alongside all the other players we've revealed so far. If you're just getting into your month of February and going, yeah, I should... Uh, I should maybe fantasy football this thing a little bit. Yep, there's plenty of stuff to go and read at coachespanel.tv, as is all of the audio podcasts that we have revealed so far for you. You can go and check them out wherever you've listened to this audio episode. And if you're watching it on YouTube, you can comment below and let us know what you think about Caleb Sarong as a fantasy football prospect. Uh, and make sure you've subscribed and got those notifications on as well. In 30 seconds, I've got a little clue for you about who's next in the 50 most relevant. But as we're getting deeper into the preseason, the content is only getting richer and more frequent for our Patreons. Those are the incredible coaches panel supporters that financially, yeah, support the coaches panel, but they get a bunch of additional content, hidden groups, extra articles, podcasts, and a ton of extra stuff. If you want to be able to benefit from that, from draft rankings to strategy components and a bunch of other things, all the details for that, as well as where you can find us on social media are in the description of this episode. So who's next up in the 50 most relevant? It's been a minute since we've gone to the back line. So let's head back to defense. There's only a couple more defenders left to go in the 50 most relevant. I'll tell you this, it's less than five. So if it's less than five, is it four, three, two, or one? It's more than one. I'm not an idiot. It's more than one. But who do I think is amongst the top handful of relevant defenders? Go back through the list, see who's been taken, and then start to cross the list off. This guy, if it comes to a one-on-one -on -one matchup, we talk about ceiling, a one-on-one -on -one matchup, could he, I get a 150 to win me an important league battle in draft or classic, or I need a 150 to separate me from the pack in a rankings game? In defense, there's not many more I have confidence in than this player.
Who is he? You will find out tomorrow in the 50 most. Fun. Yeah.